This episode is brought to you in part by Harvest House Publishers and the new book, The Good Gift of Weakness. Discover how human weakness not only allows God's strength to shine, but it was all by His design. The Good Gift of Weakness is now available wherever books are sold. All right, we're back for another episode of Lit Pulpit. We've got to give the people what they want, and they want more of Lit Pulpit. So that that's a, that's a nice thing. Austin, how are you today? People are clamoring, Claude. They're they are. they're all they're all begging. <laughs> they're saying we want more, more Lit Pulpit. So I'm obviously doing great with this kind of demand. You know, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, I think it's the I think it's the novel, though. I think it's a novel that's fascinating that has people uh, wondering and uh, and interested to to hear more. We we spent uh, the last episode really kind of beginning the section of Gabriel's prayer and talking about uh, his conversion and kind of our impressions of him as a character and how they sort of expand and complicate through Baldwin's movement back into time. Uh, and now we're going to continue talking about Gabriel, but we're going to talk about also the theme of forgiveness. So uh, as a pastor, um, what do you encounter? What, what are the misconceptions that you encounter most around the idea of forgiveness? Oh, they're a legion. And it's a notoriously important and difficult theme to fully uh, unpack and, and understand. And I say that as somebody that doesn't claim to have the market cornered on understanding either, though I definitely know how important it is. I, I think probably that uh, clearing up that forgiving and forgetting are not the same exact thing. Um, and then walking with folks uh, beyond intellectual assent to that, to really being able to affirm that uh, one can indeed offer forgiveness while um, at the same time not feeling like that means that one has to either justify actions made by someone or let that person back into their life or uh, back into uh, the relationship as it was before it had been damaged. Those those are not the same things. Yeah, I, I'm reminded actually of th- those are helpful insights. I'm reminded uh, Baylor uh, through their through their seminary, I think Truett Seminary had a had a conversation on forgiveness with um, Fleming Rutledge, Bishop Claude Alexander, and uh, Elizabeth Brunig, and it was really interesting. I, I was only able to listen to about half of it, but in that um, in, in that conversation, there were a lot of great insights around forgiveness and the challenge of forgiveness, which you're hitting on, right? Uh, sort of, it's not it's not forgiving isn't forgetting. You also have to think about what does it mean to exist in relationship? And obviously the scales and sort of the, you know, degree of, of the harm and offense and sin and all of these things. Um, but also forgiveness, you know, um, is also the sort of thing that, um, uh, I think Bishop Alexander in that conversation talked about forgiveness as something that defies reason. Um, right. It's, it's this, it's this thing that doesn't make sense to do because as, uh, as one of the panelists made the point, you know, when, when you are, um, when you actually have the the clear right to sort of uh, hold vengeance or sort of uh, receive justice, it's hard. It's hard to let that go, um, uh, right? It's hard to do something different with that than 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 merely to um, to kind of let the person receive the full kind of uh, totality of 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 what they what they ought to uh, what they ought to 
to take, right? Um, the judgment, wrath, whatever it is. But with Gabriel, it's really interesting because Gabriel um, Gabriel has this this arc as a character. We 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 meet him first, and we're we we see this his sort of domineering, toxic. Um, nature. And then as we move further back in the timeline of the story, we see the complications of who he is. He sort of becomes a, a more fully orbed character, as you mentioned last episode. And then we see the his sort of rise and his fall. Um, and, and then we see him try to process, can he be forgiven? And then this real assurance that he is forgiven um, in some really misguided and, and misshapen ways. And I think that's why it's important for us to begin by thinking a little bit about forgiveness on the front end and how our exploration of Gabriel is going to present us with uh, other clarifying lessons about forgiveness and 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 what it means to, uh, to, to really know that we have that and to think about how, what it means to also embody that. But, but before we do that, we, I, th- I feel like we, we probably need to, uh, flesh out a little bit around sort of the, the kind of narrative plot arc of Gabriel. Uh, so we, we last talked about his conversion. He moves into successful ministry. He's really um, much like the people uh, of the Temple Fire baptized in the present time of the novel. He's really interested and really taken with sort of words from God, signs from God. So he encounters Deborah, uh, or he knows Deborah, a faithful church woman, uh, and he says, "The Lord's given me a sign. I, you know, I'm I, I, I'm going to marry you." And uh, she she had been praying for his preaching and all these sort of things, and he he really thinks this is of the Lord. They marry, and and then from there he preaches, and he uh, he really thinks he's dedicated to the Lord, and he is uh, in a way that other other ministers are not, and that sort of inflates him with this quiet pride. Um, and then eventually he encounters uh, Esther, uh, a, a woman of 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 the town and of the area of sort of ill repute. Uh, Gabriel's really kind of taken with her in. In, in both religious terms, but also uh, in terms of sort of attraction and sensuality. Um, and and they um, have an encounter. They uh, He commits adultery. And then he sort of disregards her. Um, and it, as she comes to him and says, I, I'm pregnant, he's, you know, he turns the whole situation on her uh, and, and really uh, wants nothing to do with her whatsoever. Um, and he sort of begins this, this, this fall. What, what, what would you add to, to that Austin in terms of sort of the, the, the plot points of, of, of Gabriel's kind of ministerial beginning that sort of rise, uh, his relationship with Esther, what, what other things do we need to fill in there to really begin to parse out, um, how we're to understand this moment for him and what it says about his character? Well, in his conversion, he, undergoes what he believes is a radical act of forgiveness for a uh, violently sinful past. And he is uh, on the straight and narrow, so to speak, for some time. And he, as you said, he marries Deborah. Um, But then one of the things that's interesting when we think about this theme of forgiveness around um, his ministry and around just his character and his person is after he does away with Esther, as you said, it's very quick. They have this kind of torrid love affair. And the only reason it ends is because he suddenly says, all right, I'm out. He um, is uh, convicted by what he's done and he just kind of puts her away. And this is before we find out that she's pregnant. Uh, He just puts her away. 
And it's as if there was this act of forgiveness and repentance where he thought that he could just kind of ask for forgiveness, repent. And it was almost like a magical abracadabra that this ought to be Mm. something he can just put out of sight. And I think that's an interesting thing to put a pin in is how he has some sort of a theology that as as a minister, as God's chosen, uh, I definitely think there's something here just about uh, a uh, a male-dominated culture and view that he could essentially just just enjoy and take advantage of this relationship with Esther. And then when uh, the conviction of the spirit called up to him, he could repent and it could just be over like that. Uh, And that's, that's, that's a kind of cheap forgiveness um, that, uh, that clearly he, he thought and hoped was going to be enough. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Yeah, he he has this sort of um, cheap grace mentality when it comes to him, and this sort of hard legalism when it comes to everybody else. Yeah, that's and great. and it, it's a real uh, frightening thing to to read about. It's a really frightening thing to look at uh, as as a pastor, as a as a as a man, as a person. Um, to really see, I, I feel like Gabriel's a sort of character that I think reading. If we read his character and we only and, and what he does and we only and we're only angry uh, at him, uh, I, I think there's there's more there's more than just a sort of righteous response of of frustration and anger, uh, disappointment, sadness, right? All of these things when we see what he does, um, I think there's also to me this sort of um, this sort of like shock of like oh okay this this is this is what what we're capable of you know this this is this this can happen you know this does happen right um and and i think in particular what i mean is the sort of the self-deception that gives you know really cheap easy grace to ourselves and then that cheap grace doesn't displace the guilt and the shame so that has to come out and it comes out through a really vicious legalism and harshness towards others so it's it's the stuff that's not dealt with inside of him that has to come out and others have to have to bear the brunt of that um i think there's also you know it's fascinating and and really sad to think about the sort of contemporary parallels to 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 gabriel's sort of character where really a lot of what his his initial sort of relationship with esther is hoping that she'll be converted under his preaching and that doesn't happen. But even the way that that's described, it's clear that it's a desire for control that is, that that's not um, wanting someone to experience the gift of salvation, but it is, again, the sort of domineering, the sort of power dynamic that we heard of in his conversion. It's it's now refracted through the lens of ministry, right? Um, whereas before, uh, it was through um, 
sensual sexual conquest, right, in the, in his pre-conversion life, so to speak. So, so I think there's things there that obviously, you know, we we don't need to hash out, you know, uh, various church scandals uh, in our in our context as as American pastors, but you know that the, the parallels are very clear, um, in in a sense. So, so I, I think there's there's just there's just so much with this character that just is. Um, tragic but it's almost kind of like this car crash you can't can't i can't look away can't look away from it um but then there's also the element um of of royal the the son who 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 uh who is born um from from gabriel and esther and sort of um his life right his story along with hers right she's forced to sort of go on the run um and try to build a new life there's there's the dynamic of his son and then how his son royal shapes the life of roy and also john you know like all of these things are connected which i think is one of the strengths of the novel the sort of inescapable reality of these generational dynamics um maybe we could maybe we could turn there thinking about royal and then thinking about how that relates to to our understanding of john and roy as well yeah absolutely and and i'd also add that one of the things that that's quietly harrowing and sad about Gabriel's story is that you see how drawn to and attracted to Esther he is. Um, there is the desire for ego domination, but it's something that you saw he didn't feel ever for Deborah. And you know that he has given himself all of the spiritual credit for having married Deborah, uh, even though he didn't have uh, any real romantic desire for her. It was uh, something he felt like he was doing in purity of spirit. And it's almost like he was making a transaction there. We talked about how transactional his conversion was. Here, too, it's as if he is uh, married out of another giving of himself to the Lord. It's as if he's given over um, any real romantic yearnings or inclinations or any sexual drive because he's just that pure in spirit. But then when we see him encounter Esther, um, it's not that she's presented as somebody who has overly seduced him. It's from jump. He has uh, been attracted to her and he he conflates his desire to convert her with his desire to possess her. And, and so one of the kind of sad things is that part of this is related to a relationship that he's in, a marriage that he's in, that is one that he's not, forget just sexually satisfied in, though I think it's fair to say that that's not the case in, in that relationship, but one where there's just not any real romance in it other than just an appreciation for loyalty that she has felt to him. And I think we should name that for him, theologically and psychologically, it was as if when marrying Deborah, he was he was enacting another transaction, another another payment he's rendering unto God. And now he has been able to, uh, he has not been able to, to, to meet the ends of that deal. Um, he thinks that just asking for forgiveness on that, it's just between him and God and that it's not having anything to do with Esther. 
Uh, so the forgiveness piece and how he understands whether he is or is not forgiven needs to be divided between how he feels about forgiveness from God and how he feels about forgiveness from other human beings, because those two things aren't necessarily the same. Because as we're about to see, when he finds out that Esther is pregnant with Royal, now he believes that God has not, in fact, ultimately forgiven him, that uh, this is a sign that uh, he's not forgiven after all. We will later on in the story realize that he thinks he's been given another chance because of another sign that suggests to him that he has been forgiven. But all of this is so transactional in nature and so much of it. And I think this is something where I can kind of just volley a question back to you, uh, because I wonder if you see like I do that there's really a lot to be observed in 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 this part of the story and in Gabriel's relationship with forgiveness, a lot that can be observed from a pastoral standpoint on how there are theologies that feel as if, um, if we have made a mistake or if someone around us has perhaps made a mistake, but typically it's more through the first person. If we have made a mistake that somehow God's vengeance and retributive justice remains upon us and all is then seen through that lens. And as pastors, we have people who will come in. I know this has to be the case for you too, Claude, of something that has happened in their life and you're talking to them and you're providing pastoral care. And all of a sudden they tell you about something they did 15, 20 years ago. And they have theologized this to this bad thing that has just happened to them is because of this other thing they did in the past. Um, and that's a lens into forgiveness that I think is important. Um, one that, that, that in my theological view is an unhealthy way to think about God's love and care and providence, but one that we see um, uh, teased out here really, really creatively and cleverly in the person of, of, of Gabriel. Do you, do you see some of that too? Yeah, I think so. I, I think with Gabriel, I think there's, um, I th you know, my read on him is that because he is, we, we talked about his social context, right, and social location la last episode, um, and how that helps illuminate some of the the longing for power in his conversion story. But I think um, inside of that, alongside of that, he has he has such a a singular focus of uh, of upon himself. Um, I read this great quote recently about um, talking about idolatry as kind of worshiping at the shrine of self. And I think Gabriel is, Gabriel really does that. And because he does that, he sees Deborah through that lens. He relates to her through that lens. He comes to Esther and relates to her also through that lens. So, so Deborah is valuable to him, uh, you know, really this sort of, uh, out of this kind of purely this kind of like religious transaction she's the one that was praying for him right there's even this spot on um um on page 96 where gabriel is shocked when he says sister deborah all that sinful time you was a praying for me right this sense of like wow she's the one that really carried me through with my mom's prayers and so he begins to uh begins to have this sort of seed of like, okay, maybe she's, you know, I, I need to, uh, I should marry her. Maybe this is the, who God has provided for me. But again, that's, that's really through the lens of himself um, and, and much less about her, right? Uh, she can be a support to me. That that's pretty much the, the, the end of his thinking. Um, and similarly, he relates to Esther in the same sort of sense. I think I, I tend to read, um, I tend to read his, relation to Esther as being 
as being more sort of like nefarious from the get-go. Um, but but I, I think his his challenge with forgiveness seems to be because he is so wrapped up within himself, every positive thing is a sort of like sign of God's blessing, right? Every Everything that, that goes well or that looks like a, uh, has potential becomes a sign of forgiveness. So after, um, after his adultery, he he begins to sort of um, kind of uh, in in royals uh, in royals death. He he begins to then in, encounter Elizabeth and okay, th- this must be a sign, right? This, here's something good. Here's something positive. I can help guide her to the church. And here's a sign, right? And so he begins to interpret in that particular lens, um, really holding to this sense that he's kind of at the center of what God wants to do, and everything is taken as a sign of of forgiveness and as a blessing, rather than um, a real, I, I don't. He doesn't seem to me to have a real consideration of, uh, of kind of these are the consequences of my actions. He he, he doesn't seem to work in that register. I, I don't know that, that, and I think that's his real, um, that's symptomatic of a, of a of that deeper sort of issue inside of him. I, and I think that runs through the whole the whole novel, and I think that's so so well put. And I agree with you that I don't think that from the start there's any sense that he wants to leave Deborah and have a meaningful relationship with Esther. I think from jump, it's purely scandalous and illicit. Um, And I think it is driven, like you said, by, by the fact that he really does see all things through the lens of in what way is it going to benefit himself? And that's, from page one, you know, to, to the very end of the book. And uh, even though this chapter, particularly in the rest of the book in general, continues to add nuance and complexity to his character to help us to understand more and more why he is the way that he is, it really doesn't make him any less of a uh, harsh and um, hard to appreciate character. And this chapter in particular is one where uh, when you watch the way that he just so easily first turns his back on Esther and then has nothing to do with Royal. Um, and then the way that he carries that anguish about Royal in a way that still is so self-serving. Um, it, it makes it makes Gabriel ultimately a really hard to um, hard to appreciate character. Yeah, and he has this sense that you know royal is you know royalty. This sense that you know God has God has made a promise to him, almost you know similar to God how God worked with with Abraham and the patriarchs of sort of like this this child of blessing, right? The seed of blessing. So he has this really um, he has a real strong hold on uh, on that sort of relation um, and that sort of promise to him. And what happens as he as he sees um, his son Royal uh, born and, and grows up and then is killed in violence, um, he he now begins to think, okay, um, what does this mean for for this promise? And then uh, with John and Roy, John is you know the 
not his uh, not his biological child, right? So he sees John as kind of born of the world outside of the promise, right? You could you could sort of think of uh, there's allusions to you know Galatians and um, and Hagar and Sarah and all this sort of stuff as well. Um, but then Roy, you know, Roy's the one, right? Roy, Roy should be the one in Roy and Royal. You see you see the connection there. But Roy is is deeply. Um, is, is deeply kind of caught up in the streets and in the world as we see in the first few pages. And so what Gabriel then does, because he's so kind of rooted in this shrine of self, he begins to think that there there has to be some sort of reason for why it is that Royal is kind of off the mark and is not in the church and not doing these sort of things. And it can't be Gabriel, you know, it, it could it could never be him, right? Uh, he's He's got the sign that he's been forgiven, all this sort of stuff. So naturally, it has to be Elizabeth. It has to be that, uh, we see this on 111, uh, it has to be proof that her sin had truly never been repented, um, that he's the living proof of her sin, and that she was an interloper among the, sta- the saints, right? All, all these sort of things. So it, it can't be him. Right, it can't just be something mysterious. It has to have a source. It has to have a root, and the root uh, is not going to be Gabriel. So I think th- these become really important moments of uh, of sort of the tragedy um, and the chaos that we that we sow and then reap when we overconfidently sort of ascribe particular promises to God when we overconfidently uh, look at everything through the relation of kind of this, the shrine of, of, of oneself, right, at the center of everything, and then try to sort of say that God is doing particular things in our lives, right, um, in really bold terms that have no kind of qualifications. Um, and, and Gabriel seems to really struggle to parse out kind of um, – a declaration of forgiveness from God and consequences in real relationship with human beings, right? The, these things, he, he, he's not able to do that. He's not able to, to move carefully between these sort of things. And, and as a result, um, he, he, he just brings chaos with him everywhere he goes, right? The, the chapter, uh, I'm drawn again to the, to the uh, epigraph of the chapter, uh, which says, I've been introduced to the Father, Son, and Spirit. I ain't no stranger now. And I think that is the question for Gabriel, right? This person who, in, who misinterprets all of these signs, who thinks of himself in these, in these really holy terms, but whose life is, is really just kind of chaos and, and sin in so many ways, has he really, has he really changed, right? Is he, is he, has he changed at all? Has he really been introduced to, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? These are the kind of questions uh, I think we're, we're kind of left thinking about as we move through uh, the section on Gabriel's prayer. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That's a great way to end. Is it, is it a legitimate change or is it a spiritual gloss on uh, already uh, established mode and way of being? And is there a way that it could potentially be in some ways both? I mean, that harkens back to an mm. original conversation we had in the, in the first episode of um, in, in the harshness and the severity and in some of the, the dysfunction and unhealthiness, is it possible that there is still a spirit that's at work <laughs> that is pulling yeah. and guiding and leading? And that's, that's an open question, particularly in, in the character of Gabriel. Um, but um, it's a question I look forward to our continuing to explore as we move forward with this podcast. 
Absolutely. We'd be interested to hear from from y'all who are listening. Uh, as, as Gabriel, as Gabriel changed, um, I think that's one of the key questions in the, in the novel. Florence gives voice to that consistently. Um, that you kind of you kind of are who you are. Um, so has Gabriel changed? Is it? Do we make sense? How do we make sense of his conversion in light of in light of the the back half of the story in the present timeline? Is is that a real conversion? Is there nothing there? Something there? A mix? Uh, be curious to hear from folks and um, encourage folks to uh, to do that uh, on our Facebook group and the show notes and to keep uh, listening in and for extra credit, keep reading along as we uh, move toward uh, toward the end of this uh, really important novel. Appreciate y'all listening and we'll catch y'all next time.